The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. The whole world is working out remote working at the moment, and it's not exactly easy. So we thought it could be interesting to chat to someone who didn't just make it work, but built a successful HR search company in a remote-first way, growing it to the point it attracted significant investment from a major Japanese player. Matthew Chapman has done a lot else besides Chapman CG, his search company. He's also built an eco-resort island in remote Indonesia, founded one of the toughest ultra-races in the world, the Snowman Run in Bhutan, and now calls a very special property in Mirawai, Parahoa, home. To talk about the journey, tips for remote work and enduring, and why he chose and is optimistic for New Zealand, Matthew Chapman joins us now by Zoom from Auckland's West Coast. Kia ora, how are you? Oh, very well, Simon. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being along. So first up, Matthew, um, tell us tell us about your background. How did you come to be running an HR search firm in Singapore? So I actually uh, trained as an accountant, but didn't enjoy accounting. So I started my career with Deloitte. And one day when I was at a conference with Deloitte, I was 22, I was writing down what are the things in my skills that were uh, areas that I enjoyed and areas like people and um, and marketing and whatnot. And it led me to talk to someone who said, maybe you should consider recruitment. And so I interviewed for some recruitment firms and I ended up joining a company which no longer exists called Morgan & Banks. And it became Hudson. So I had a few years with them in Melbourne and then went on to Singapore and then Japan and then realized, you know what? I actually want to do it myself. And I want to have a company that does it better than the companies I've worked with. And that was what led me to starting my own company. That's so cool. What was it about, um, you, you know, you mentioned you wrote down those things about people and about uh, those relationships and the like. What what was it about HR that grabbed you and made you interested? And what, what was it What was it about the search part of it? And, and, and talk us through what that involves. Yeah, so originally when I went into um, the recruiting search space, I actually concentrated on hiring accountants because that was my background. So I understood everything about them. But I got the opportunity to switch to human resources, which was essentially hiring HR leaders. And of course, the HR leaders are the people people. And what's unique about the people people is that they're the partner of the CEO, if they're good, on the people strategy supporting business strategy. So I think what I enjoyed was the bird's eye view into what makes 
an entire company tick in order for it to execute its its business strategy. And there was something unusual about the way you you started the company at the time you did, didn't you? As you you started it as a remote first enterprise. Was that was that unusual at the time? And, and what led you to do that? Yeah, so I started uh, Chapman CG, um, which is more broadly known as the Chapman Consulting Group. So I named it after the Boston Consulting Group, the um, the management consulting company. And so I started it in 2008 after I'd had nine years of um, search experience myself in a few different countries. And what I realized is that I didn't want to be in an office because I was very interested in outcomes in, a, in terms of just getting things done and getting things done as efficiently as possible and also fitting in my life. I enjoyed travel and I enjoyed being out in the outdoors. So it was just my natural instinct to want to try and do it a little differently to normal. And by doing that, you know, um, what were the challenges in uh, in doing so as you, you built it to have uh, a lot of employees across a lot of offices and a lot of kind of blue chip clients who you were working for and the like, what what are the what are the challenges around uh, being a remote first kind of business when when doing that? Yeah, so when I started the company, um, initially we had the objective of focusing on Asia Pacific. So I was in Singapore. I'm actually a citizen of Singapore. I'm Australian born, um, and I'm now a permanent resident of New Zealand as of about six years ago. And so Singapore was the first country we focused on, as well as Japan. And that was a place that I'd worked. And then we filled in the gaps of all the other countries in the Asia-Pacific region. And then what we realized is that some of the HR leaders whom we'd been following, when they returned back to the US or the UK, they were the people that were being promoted as a result of having had experience outside of their home countries. Uh, So that's what actually was the beginnings of the business becoming global. Uh, So consequently, we ended up... uh, being a business that could do searches in about 100 countries around the world um, on all continents. And as the business grew, um, I looked for people who had the right skills to be part of the business, but we didn't matter where they were based. So as long as the person fitted the company culture, whether it was Spain, Sweden, you know, wherever else starts with an S, uh, people <laughs> people could actually, people could be based. And um, that's how the company's grown to what it is today in 2020, 12 years later. And how big did you grow it to? So we have about 100 people around the world. And um, essentially, that means that any HR search done in the world, uh, we will be called in potentially to do that search. So one of the most recent searches we've um, very successfully done has been the global head of HR for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, which is one of the largest charities in the world, and that's based in Seattle. So that's an example of something that we would we would do. What does it take to make remote first work with a hundred person company? Like, what kind of systems or processes or things do you do that makes that successful? So I think first of all, uh, and when we started in two thousand and eight, it was very important to build a company around information integrity. So the structuring of how we uh, stored and how you could access information. And of course, this was prior to privacy rules being so protective. So uh, we've had to evolve with those. But 
how you build the bones of your organization about how you save information and then how people can access it is really important because what you want is people to be able to um, get their jobs done but also feel very connected in the way they interact about the firm's customers but also how they collect information and how you share information. It was something that um, was very hard to understand that a, a virtual company could actually be more connected than a physical company because in a physical company, we don't feel the need necessarily to share information as uh, logically because people are around us, we can talk over the desk and whatnot, but when you're in all corners of the world, if you don't record it, it didn't exist. Wow, and so you re what, record meetings, make them available. Um, yeah, what, what are the kind of um, practical tips that actually help to facilitate working together? So what's very important in a remote company is that text-based communication becomes really important. So in 2020, I mean, you can have a voice call that can be translated into text, but even in 2008, um, text-based communication was what united everyone. And in Chapman CG, it was even more complicated by the fact that as I built the company, I had a particular interest in disadvantaged people or people that wanted to be given a chance. So some of our support team, in fact, probably 20 of the team, most of whom are still with us today, were from a variety of um, disabilities from deaf, blind, um, and other, um, other, other disabilities, which meant that that was the only way that those people could actually communicate. So therefore, we created a one-dimensional layout, um, which, which worked very, very well. What does it take to do well at search? Like, what what's the kind of nuts and bolts of um of finding like the right kind of leader in in a company for a company? So searches is 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 really based on intuition and essentially aligning values between the person that's being hired and the hiring decision maker and anyone else that's involved in the process and who will be a stakeholder to this new person's uh, job. So the trick is to get the value alignment between everyone. Uh, and then of course, making sure that the company from a vision standpoint actually suits the person being hired so that they actually will be able to be on a journey. Some people don't need a journey, they just wanna do a contract. Other people are very long-term. So getting all those variables uh, aligned is really important. And then complicating that with pay structures and you know the right technical uh, challenges and the roles. It's a very, very complicated space. That's actually why I chose to focus on a discipline, which was human resources. So it doesn't matter what industry or what part of the world we're dealing in, it's actually the human resources functional area that we concentrate on. And the funny thing about human resources is it's a very abstract space because there's no start and end to human resources because it concentrates on people. So it's a very ambiguous space and one which is actually very hard to find good people. And unfortunately, HR has a bad name sometimes. So it's the, uh, it's the place that everyone loves to blame, but when done properly, it's a key enabling business function. And building it up over that kind of 10 years towards um, taking on the in investment, like was it always a plan to, to scale it to an exit or um, was that something that, that uh, popped up out of the blue or talk me through that? Yeah, it's a really good question, Simon. So uh, I 
uh, created Chapman CG as a as a passion lifestyle um, objective. So I enjoyed the work that I did around hiring HR leaders. I wanted to be able to do it from anywhere. So I was a former ultra marathoner um, running different deserts in the world. I remember once in 2006 being in Antarctica on my BlackBerry and thinking, wow, one day we'll be able to work like this. So the business sort of embodied all of these beautiful things that made a life. But what I found was that as a result of focusing on a passion, it became successful very quickly. And for anyone who's created a small business where you get out of control, it's one of the most scary things that can happen because you feel like that very thing that you focus your passion on could actually be your undoing. And so I needed to actually bring in another person and then that person also, because they had the right values, meant that we got even busier. And such led the expansion of something that was just based on me into you know, a global company. Um, it was really useful to be able to, as it grew, set my sights on what the market share possibly was. So it's fair to say that was not a focus at the start, but I retrofitted in the sort of awareness of how far the company could go. And I think when you work at a world level, um, you're able to aim very high. And that's that's what I did. So my objective was that Chapman CG should be able to do, you know, potentially all of the global heads of HR searches in the world, wherever they were, and all of the searches underneath those at a regional and a, and a country level. So I guess I wasn't dreaming big at the start, but as things got moving, my dreams got bigger. And as that success started coming in, uh, enabled you to do more interesting things around the edges as well. Tell me about, I, I see here that you, you've helped to um, pull together an island resort, an e eco uh, kind of resort, and, and actually helped to kind of uh, build, build out the island as well. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I think one of the beautiful things when you have a, a business that does well, and also when you have a mind that recognizes that you can learn from so many different things and apply them to each other. Um, I probably morphed into what, you know, people use the term entrepreneur. I didn't really understand what it was, but it means, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. And so I had a particular interest in beautiful landscapes from doing some personal property investment in places like Indonesia, and then ultimately what led me to New Zealand as well. But in about 2010, I was given the opportunity to take a small plane ride out into the South China Sea. And from the sky, I was shown this archipelago of six beautiful islands. And I was told that a guy called Tim in Singapore would, would one day develop these into a, um, a luxury resort. In 2010, I could see the potential from the sky and it led me on a journey of which I became one of 14 investors. But by the time we opened in 2018, there was just Tim and I. And so what we created was uh, Bauer Reserve, uh, which um, Condé Nast uh, last year, the travel magazine, rated it as um, Indonesia's top uh, island resort, but also uh, number nine in Asia. Uh, so this, this resort is an eco resort with about 35 keys connected by uh, two seaplanes from, from Singapore. What was really interesting to me was um, I focused a lot on the people marketing technology side. So in terms of building an island, um, really came up the strategy for how we would have 250 people on that island servicing about 70 guests. So just 
sort of demonstrating how you can take linkages from somewhere and apply it to an abstract situation like an island. Unfortunately, as a result of COVID-19, like much of the hospitality sector in the world, um, we've actually had to close the island uh, three weeks ago. Uh, so it's gone into hibernation and um, hopefully we'll be able to reopen it at some future point. Oh, wow. And that kind of um, thinking on that kind of level of scale as well, uh, the snowman run in Bhutan, which is really a super um, a, a super interesting place, not on the uh, general kind of, um, you know, glo global tourism uh, circuit and living really interesting values. How did you come to be interested in that place? And tell me what the snowman run is. Yeah, so I did uh, four ultra marathons uh, through an organization called Racing the Planet. And it was the hottest, coldest, driest, windiest deserts in the world. So the Atacama Desert, the Gobi Desert, Sahara and Antarctica. So they were 250k ultra marathons. And then from there, I went on and did Namibia and Madagascar um, in 2009 and 2014. These deserts and sort of ultra um, exploits were very influential in me building my muscle around tenacity and I guess how you hold equilibrium in your mind and your body. So they're very, very important events in my development. And I met a lot of really interesting people. Um, in 2019, after I had actually taken um, a significant interest from the Will Group, which is the Japanese listed company uh, in, in Chapman CG, I decided to just take a break for a month. And with some friends, I actually rode my mountain bike from the far east to the far west of Bhutan. And in fact, they were a very inspiring group of Kiwis, uh, all in their 50s, 60s and early 70s from Queenstown. And what was really inspiring about all these people is that they had led a, a life of great purpose and leisure. So I was with them to really learn from them and to also chill out. Along the way, I got introduced to a representative of the royal family who told me that the king, um, His Majesty the King of Bhutan, for his 40th birthday, wanted to organize a running race through the Himalayas and that it would be over the snowman trek the snowman trek was something since a little boy I've always wanted to do. And so through one connection to another, I became one of the first or one of the five founding members of this epic race, which will be 300 kilometers across the snowman trek and has never been run before. Now, unfortunately, due to our friend COVID-19, it's unsure whether we'll go ahead this October. Um, we'll make a decision in July. And if not, it'll be October 2021 yeah and and what actually is the snowman trek like what's the it, it's um yeah like what's the the distance and and it's kind of um ultra status yeah so it's uh it's actually the toughest hiking trek in the world and it is between three and a half thousand meters above sea level to five and a half thousand meters so the same elevation as Everest Base Camp. Typically, trekkers take 25 days to walk the route. And in fact, less people have finished it than have summited Everest. So this race will be over five days, which is essentially 60 kilometers a day. But with the altitude changes, you know, it really makes it something that, to be honest, is about 15 hours a day on foot if you're, if you're lucky. 
So uh, there'll be five founding runners of which uh, I'm, I'm one. And then we have uh, 20 of the world's best ultra runners, uh, which we've taken a ballot to uh, take entries. And most of those have been selected. And then there'll be five Bhutanese runners uh, who are local runners that have been selected as the best in the country. So uh, 30 runners in total and a support crew of probably 60 uh, with the only helicopter that Bhutan has on standby, but which might not actually be able to get to the top of the course because helicopters can't fly that high. Ah, and what's the environmental element to the race? So the ethos of the king was that this race was to bring awareness uh, to the world of climate change. And since he had been a little boy, he'd seen glacial melt in the Himalayas. So the purpose of the race is not just for people like me to get up there and uh, test their limits, but really to create a movement around climate change with respect to Bhutan, which is uh, one of the world's few carbon neutral countries. So Bhutan is covered 70% by forest. So this really was meant to be an event which the king used Bhutan to profile to the world for this for this cause. Ah, but it could be another another year or into the future before before it happens. Well, the good the good news and the silver lining to the COVID nineteen crisis is that, as we all know, there's been you know some visible improvements in key measures around um, the pollution and and the, and the environment. So, if this does get held up for any reason. Um, this is probably a very sound reason. And I think uh, what we really want to be able to do is create a world carbon neutral uh, summit at the end of the race, which um, you know does attract a lot of uh, followership. We also want to ensure that everyone involved in the race adopts a carbon neutral position. So in terms of actually even physically getting there, that uh, there is essentially no negative outputs of, of people making making that journey. And tell me about the New Zealand connection. Like, how is it that you now are sitting uh, in, in Murawai? Look, I came to New Zealand for a friend's wedding in the Coromandel in 2010. And Chapman CG was young at the stage. And I realised the time zone was five hours ahead of Asia, which was at that point the center of the business. Obviously the business would morph into a much more global business after that. So I liked the time zone. I also was really drawn to the Kiwi creativity and much like Singapore, where I'd been living for a long time, I felt that New Zealand was a place in the world that everyone liked. So brand New Zealand uh, was a was a, was a place that I saw you know, connected with beauty and with safety. Um, and so that was what led me to then start looking at at properties, but not really knowing what I was looking for, but thinking if I was ever to find something in New Zealand, which would get me interested in the country, it would need to be by the ocean. And I love sunsets, so I wanted to see the sunset and whatnot. Anyway, in 2012, the property that had all that popped up and that's where I am now. That was a huge challenge for me to bite off because it was a working farm. Uh, it was, um, you know, of a magnitude that I needed to really get involved and 
um, you know, challenge myself. And it also forced me around my business to evolve it in such a way that I could actually be in New Zealand and not need to be in other parts of the world. So it really got me growing my team and prioritizing my travel because New Zealand was a long way away from anywhere, unlike Singapore. If you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. Check it out through the spin-off. Kia ora. sorry for this interruption, it's Alice Neville here. I am the food editor at The Spin-Off, and I just wanted to pop in and tell you about our food podcast, Dietary Requirements, hosted by me, Simon Day, and Sophie Gilmore. It celebrates all there is to know about eating and drinking. There's cooking tips, there's special guests, there's what we've been eating and drinking lately, and we try not to chew into the microphone too much. So if you like food and drink, listen in. You won't regret it. It's, it's at thespinoff.co.nz and all your favorite podcast providers. And having navigated a few of these uh, out-of-the-box kind of challenges and situations, um, what kind of advice would you have for people who are looking to change things up and maybe make the best of this remote situation at the moment? So I think in any business, even remote aside, it's really important to have a plan which is agile. So what really matters to me and even now is not just my monthly plan or my weekly plan, but even my daily plan. So that's what makes your weekly or monthly or yearly plan is the culmination of every single day. So I think it's really good to be reflective about, hey, what did I achieve today? Did that meet my expectations? How am I going to change that tomorrow? And if I had today, would I would I do it differently? I think when it comes to remote working, that's a really apt description of what we're all going through now. Because if you think about it, a lot of us have only been doing this for three weeks. And so this is a wonderful time to be looking at yourself and making sure that the little steps you're doing each day are the right ones. Now, the thing that's the beautiful opportunity now for those who are open-minded with their businesses is we might not, not go back to the way that we existed before. And so if you can build with a new normal in mind, then you'll be better equipped for what comes out the other end. And the new normal is the product of every single day that we're going through now. So therefore, if you're, if you're adopting that approach I just said, by maximizing each day and being reflective, you would naturally get taken in the right direction as opposed to being too rigid. And how about advice for doing something out of the box? I mean, doing things like uh, organizing ultra races in uh, little visitors kingdoms and uh, you, know, you know, making islands and luxury resorts happen. What, what kind of things do you have to draw on to do something like that? So I'll answer that question sort of explaining how I've done it, but then for everyone listening to make it relevant to you because there's a, there's a connection. So for me, there's a bunch of things in my life that have and always will be the center for what allows those other things to happen. So my search business growing 
has been, if you like, the the cash cow and success that's allowed me to do other things. Um, so I can't take my eyes off that because that's really important. But as I get involved in other things, for me, there's got to be connections between each of those things that enriches the other. So it's like if you imagine a jigsaw puzzle over a table, you start to have a mind where you can connect together all the pieces. Other people will doubt you, but in your mind, you can connect the, the other pieces. So for instance, Bhutan for me might be running. It might be getting involved in a country that like New Zealand, like Singapore is another very unique place. It might have a link with climate. I might be connecting with interesting people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there'll be a number of aspects about that that will link it to my core. And so that allows me to take on a broader number of things that in my in my head has has linkages. And so if you're someone that's got your first business, it's probably like my search business. It's your it's your cash cow, it's what pays the bills. But I encourage you to not over-index on that and to allocate an amount of your time to do other things which interest you and which might help shore up your business. And then down the track, you'll end up with a more interesting portfolio of things, which is representative of where you know your interests lie in life. And having had success over quite a few different areas, what is success for you, uh, both personally and in a professional sense? Um, Simon, I think success for me is a bit like running an ultra marathon. So when I run an ultra marathon, it's not just about saying yes to it. It's about keeping your hydration, your food consumption, all in some sort of formulaic equilibrium. I'm always nervous enough that I don't mess with my formula or my instinct on those things. You've got to have the right shoes. You know, you've got to have done your research on the course. You've got to keep your pace at the right level so that you don't burn out in the middle. So I think when I relate it to my business life, it's very much the same, which is you've got to try and keep everything in some sort of equilibrium. So it's no point just going manic on your numbers and burning your team out and breaking up your relationship and getting depressed because actually a bit like the game of snakes and ladders, you can climb the ladder fast, but you can come down a snake even faster. So I think for me, it's a lot about making sure that I still feel the passion. And also, if you were to ask people around me that are part of my story or my ecosystem, that they're having fun and that they could validate that it's a good place to be. So I think that whole equilibrium and that ultra marathon is something I think a lot about resilience and longevity. So I think to one of your earlier questions, I don't think there's been a business that I've been involved in where I've gone into it just for an exit. Um, it's been a passion and something that I'm interested in. And if an exit comes or someone wants to buy something because it's a good business, fantastic. Ah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story today. That's Matthew Chapman of Chapman CG. Thank you so much. Cheers. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tina Tiller, for producing, and thank you very much for having us along. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts.
And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.